Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Listeners, welcome. Actually, this week is episode 35 of season two of the Super Betty Bros and Movie Land podcast. Oh no, did uh, people get crossed that we got it wrong or something? No, not a person did, but I did notice I got it wrong. I don't think you people got really crossed care. yourself. And I do regularly get crossed myself, Phil. That's how my life sort of rolls around. But anyway, I'm sure no one really cares. Hey, we've got a good show for you this week, although only one new release to talk about. Yeah, just the way that the schedule's worked out, it's uh, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel Jackson in The Hitman's Bodyguard. Correct, yeah. And we're going to do a special what we've been watching which is basically phil catching up on films that i've already seen and i'll just do normal films as well oh right okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. well it's more me giving you a review of your review well which two are you gonna do i'm gonna be reviewing uh captain fantastic the Vigo mortensen film and also patterson because uh one of our listeners got in touch and confirmed your view mm. of the film so i want to give my they challenge you to give us yours mm. okay and i'm gonna do a scanner dartley with keanu reeves and Finding Dory, which I saw again. That was actually my daughter's first ever film that she watched, Phil. <laughs> Not Finding Nemo, then? <laughs> no, Finding Nemo. <Whiskey. laughs> she's about it made no sense though whatsoever. <laughs> well, she's only two. I don't, you know, I don't think much would have made sense. She did remember it very well, though, and oh. we'll come to that later. We're going to do movie news covering, well, let's you know let the news announcers do that job. Mm. And don't, we don't have very many emails this week, but we've got a few tweets to motor through. As ever, Phil, people still want to talk about Dunkirk. I know. Honest. See you tomorrow. Very excited. Big IMAX thing. I'm ready and waiting. So next week, listeners, is the week that you can finally hear <laughs> our views on Dunkirk. I'm sure people will not care by that point. I don't know. I think go. it's a different thing. It'll be a different sort of review. Rather than hearing sort of, oh, what you, what should you go see? It's uh, let's hear Laurie and Phil's verdict on this film. Mm, well, let's wait and see. Uh, listeners, find out how you can support the show at patreon.com slash Bros. If you'd like to do that, thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. And, you know, as always, please do consider dropping us a review on iTunes. We need all the ratings we can get to keep shooting up the charts. And as uh, mentioned now three weeks ago with my embarrassing episode uh, appealing to Adam Buxton to appear on the show, please do tweet to Adam Buxton and say how much you love him to come on the show. If you don't know who he is, he's half of Adam and Joe. I'm sure you do know who he is. Listen to that episode. It'll make sense. It's called A Very Special Guest and it's excruciatingly embarrassing according to Phil. (laughs) That's just my opinion. But I do (laughs) want Adam on the show. That'd be absolutely wicked keep that steam train going all right well should we dive in phil yes i feel like we're missing our little themed intro i enjoyed radio one last well week. seeing as you said dive can we do some diving board effects and then do a big sploosh and a okay. clap all right go on then you, are you gonna dive phil yeah ready? here he is the uh, young man from uh, the british isles it's at this point of season oh, oh the flip's gone sideways oh and a terrible belly flop well not a surprise in retrospect okay thanks very much that's so mean you didn't say you were gonna do that <laughs> Do you know what the Hollywood blacklist is, Phil? Uh, that is unproduced screenplays that are going to be like majorly important or something. That's one of the hottest unproduced screenplays out there in Hollywood. Everyone has said, well, there's a lot of heat over this. We love the screenplay, but either they haven't found the right money or they haven't found the right sort of director. The people are not properly attached. So it's just an idea. And, and the story. script's good sort of thing. That is what The Hitman's Bodyguard was, Phil. Were you aware of that? I'm not surprised having seen the film and now that you've said it. Yeah, that makes sense. It would strike me as a solid idea for a film. It's interesting having watched the film, how much I liked it and also found it very generic at the okay. same time. Well, hold that thought because it's this guy, Tom O'Connor, and he's not really written very much. This, I think this is his second screenplay. So you'd think for a writer like that, this is quite a big moment, isn't it? Because getting Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson and Gary Oldman, I suppose, into your production, they're three fairly big coups, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. It was a, it's, a, it's a big Hollywood movie, I'd say. So how do you think he felt 
when, and this is according to Ryan Reynolds in an interview with Vice magazine, uh, eight weeks before filming was due to began, they decided they would give the screenwriting team two weeks to turn the script from a vaguely serious uh, action drama into a buddy comedy. Oh, really? Does that sound like a switch you can make in two weeks? Uh, I feel like it... Well, yeah, because it's a solid movie. It's fine as a movie, I think. You think so? You're giving the review now. I'm still on the intro, but you're... you're, you're well, because I, I can't help but... <laughs> you're asking me opinions, and I've got to give my opinion, haven't I? I can't fine, lie. Fine, fine. And so... But I can see I'd be furious if I'd written that film. Would you I'd think be you furious. would? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you just take whatever you can get when it's your second big film. Yeah, maybe. And if you've got big stars in it, why not? I, I prefer to see a movie made that I've written than just keep my precious idea. Well, there we go. Listeners, yeah, The Hitman's Bodyguard is directed by Patrick Hughes. He is the director of The Expendables 3 and other such magnificent films. Uh, and written by Tom O'Connor, this new screenwriter, stars those guys. It also stars Salma Hayek, although I guess she's got a slightly smaller role. Pretty good in it, though. And then Elodie Young, who, Phil, where's she from? She was in Gods of Egypt. We were a big fan of that film. She was one of the princesses. And also, she was uh, Electra in the Daredevil Netflix series. Yeah, that's right. Alongside What's-His-Face from Stardust. Yeah, Charlie something or other. And it is an action buddy comedy film. Ryan Reynolds stars as Michael Bryce, and he is a former AAA-rated executive bodyguard. He used to protect the sort of top corporate clients, but a personal and professional failure let him down, and now he's having to deal with slightly less impressive clients. Meanwhile, Samuel L. Jackson is Darius Kincaid, a notorious hitman who has been captured by Interpol and is on his way to give evidence at this sort of international trial of a criminal dictator, I suppose we can call it. Of Belarus, apparently. Yeah, the dictator of Belarus, uh, Dukovic, who is played by none other than uh, professional bad guy Gary Oldman. Indeed, and of course, uh, Kincaid is wanted dead because he's going to give evidence. He's a, but he's a he's a bad man. He knows how to take care of himself. Yep. And so even though Interpol puts in about a million different troopers to look after him, they all get taken out very, very quickly. And Samuel L. Jackson thinks, I'm better off on my own. And also Interpol is not to be trusted. And so... It ends up being that Ryan Reynolds in his slightly down on his luck security service is the perfect person to take care of him and get him to, uh, where is it? It's The Hague, the International Criminal Court Mm. in The Hague. And yeah, Elodie Young is playing that Interpol agent who realises she's got, you know, nothing to lose. You might as well bring in a guy who used to deliver the goods and that she may have had some kind of relationship with in the past. That is Michael Bryce. So enter... Uh, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson as hilariously mismatched uh, buddies on a road movie, right? Yeah, perfect. There's a movie. Sounds like Midnight Run a bit, doesn't it? And you've got the most dangerous hitman ever with a bodyguard, which is hence Hitman's Bodyguard. Hitman's Bodyguard. Should we have a clip? This is their meeting for the first time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And Phil said to me when I said we were going to use this clip, uh, this is not a clip that we should use. And I think actually he's wrong about that, listeners. Uh, So enjoy uh, this clip for a variety of reasons that will become clear in a minute. Transport is in there. Is that blood do... What the... I've been waiting for this. Hmm? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to look. No, mother... Hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about this. Yeah, so why do you think I wanted us to use that clip, Phil? I think it because it gives a good sense of the tone and what sort of product (laughs) you're actually getting in this movie. Which, how would you describe it? Uh, sweary, action-y, adventure stuff. 
With, yeah. with Ryan Reynolds as a likable lead and Samuel L. Jackson as a bad bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, exactly. A bleep, bleep, bleep. And there's a couple of uh, swear words that have been vaguely edited from that clip, I Which, believe. Yeah, hopefully that still keeps our clean rating. Of course it does. But I'm certain if you, you know, are familiar with such phrases, you can put them <laughs> together in your own mind. Uh, and the music. What did you think of that music, Phil? Yeah, very generic. Very like... Yeah. See, now, what I immediately thought when stuff started happening in this film is that little factoid, which I didn't know until after I'd seen the film, made sense of it all. The fact that this has been turned from a very serious film into an overnight comedy film is so obvious. Like, that music, it's, it's like someone made it a week before the film was scheduled to be released, and they just brought together as many package loops as they could, and it's just saying, we're having a good time, and you're having a good time. Do you know what I mean? That This film is so obviously been slapped together, uh, I think, at the last minute turn it into something that it really isn't i don't think it's been slapped together at all i think it's been quite competently made and put together do you think so i think it has but with a very low threshold of what is competent in the sense that the movie works fine it's got a narrative structure it's got characters which have arcs it's got very clear motivations and plotting in the sense that even though it's this comedy buddy movie that's only just transformed after two weeks of two weeks notice you still get what's going on you still get the main aim you get the main idea what's going on who's who and I think the action is very competent and quite enjoyable in well, some that, ways. That is what I'll give it. I think the action genuinely is quite enjoyable. And there's a lot of it for a two hour film that apparently only had about $30 million budget or so. I'm quite blown away by the amount, the sheer amount of action that's in there. I mean, they even they get through cars and boats uh, and motorbikes and on foot and I'm pro- probably some other vehicles I'm not remembering. There's definitely a really quite spectacular, I thought, even though it's shot in a kind of standard way. The chase sequence in Amsterdam, I thought was brilliant. I thought it was exciting and kind of took you along. It told a story through the action, which I thought is quite hard to do these days. Actually, there's quite a lot of bland action. Yeah, Even though this wasn't sort of sensational or inventive, kind of like Baby Driver might be, I did think, oh, there's, there's, there's a decent story, decent director behind the chair. He knows how to get through he's certainly a man to power through a b movie isn't it and you know to support your thing about it's got quite a low threshold for what's acceptable just on those action sequences one thing i couldn't help noticing is that as much as i was enjoying them they were kind of in like b team locations not the cities amsterdam beautiful london's really nice but did you not notice that at the beginning when they had the first shootout in london it was just like this weird nondescript street there were no landmarks lot that's a studio lot it is it must be i can't they didn't look like london and actually i found it quite funny watching when the movie opened and I saw the gherkin, I was like, oh no, London again? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you've been feeling this. I, yeah, of course I do. I started getting sick of seeing London. London I want to go somewhere well, exotic. Giving away tax breaks I every film must be, company. Yeah. And so but they, they, I'm sure they are because the film industry keeps on being talked about as if it's, you know, lifting up our economy. But yeah, it does get a bit boring. I'd like some more escapism, please. But I just couldn't help but notice that rather than uh, action pieces centered around historical landmarks or showcasing a city, they seem to be happening in kind of back alleys. Like even the ones in uh, Amsterdam uh, or in the Hague it wasn't really using uh, big landmarks and it all speaks to let's crunch this budget right down and squeeze it for all that is worth but then you've got the whole um, canal chase sequence where Samuel Jackson's yeah, yeah. in a boat I think that is it's pretty good but it's not like an amazing landmark it's a great se- sequence but it's not an amazing landmark no true they're not like they're not trying to showcase the cities in any way that's exactly what I mean but come on man I mean you've got to agree with me that the dialogue is pretty ropey and that the characterization for all of there's an arc it's like the most plodding arc I've ever seen like the moments of sentimentality where you have like the real character bleeding out 
which is terrible. It's like awful gear shifts. When you have Gary Oldman, like literally executing a family, for example, and then you go immediately into some goofy like moment with Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Ryan Reynolds. It's, did you not find it just a mess? I thought it was fine. I think that's the kind of my feeling is that it is actually fine and it's it's perfectly acceptable. And maybe it's just that I've seen a lot of bad movies now. But I think actually the tone was okay. I do think maybe Ryan Reynolds was miscast. He's fine and he does his job well. I think he he knows exactly what he bread delivers and butter the is. Ryan Reynolds thing. Exactly, he delivers Ryan Reynolds. But actually, I think you needed a much straighter man to go against Samuel Jackson's character as Kincaid. He was the sort of loud, brassy sweary angry hitman and then having ryan reynolds be equally sort of his own shtick as well i think they kind of cancel cancelled each other out a bit it didn't quite work and so i think maybe that was an error having them both be funny i don't think that really works out particularly well and maybe that's what you're talking about the tone not quite matching they just dumped in as many jokes as they could into a fairly straightforward plot and i think they feel dumped in i noted it because a lot of the gags are either really obvious or just not very funny in fact there was only one that really made me laugh i want you're laughing already i wonder if this is gonna work can, can we say this because it uses a word that some people might think is rude it's not a swear word so I apologise. I think I know exactly. I think, okay. Because uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Kincaid is making fun of Ryan Reynolds' AAA status. And it's like, what does that AAA stand for? I'll tell you. That extra A is for ass. And that's your ass between mine and a bullet. That's a good line. That is a good line. I but wasn't, it's basically the only one I remember. That wasn't the bit that I was thinking about. I thought you were going to talk about farts. There was a fart joke that actually made me laugh. You like that? I thought it was I so funny. Like no, I thought it was so no, funny. No, I didn't I, see it coming ooh, at all. I really didn't like That's that. the first fart joke I've laughed at in like years. And I, I thought it was very funny. That made my list of bad things, Phil. Because I thought that's Salma Hayek, isn't it? You're talking about the scenes there. Yeah. I thought she was really quite good. And the, she is, incidentally, listeners, Darius Kincaid's love interest. And he's doing this as much for her as he is for anything else. That's not really a spoiler that's, that's fine, fine yeah. yeah 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 but she's in a prison so and that's why he's you know got to be careful because he doesn't want any harm to come to her but she is presented as this really brassy super tough person you know whom she'd have to be because she's going out with uh, a hitman um and part of that is that she's got a really um, terrified cellmate isn't that right yeah that's all it is i i, so, made, I didn't <laughs> see it coming it made me laugh without giving it away listeners i didn't like that and i think the reason's quite obvious if you go and see the film I I think we feel differently about this film, man. That's good. I liked the fact that it was sort of dumb and straightforward and kind of generic in some ways. You know how you say, oh, Monster Trucks, it's got a bit of fun and life yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this film does have a bit of fun and life to it. But it it's didn't very, have good emotion, I It's very say. much sort of Ikea-style movie making <laughs> in the sense that it's flat-packed and then you just kind of pull it out and put the right necessary bolts in and it works and it's functional. It's nothing sensational. It's not going to be like massively complimented but Samuel Jackson's good Ryan Reynolds does they his thing well they put their all into it they're good performers Salma Hayek has a kind of com- committed performance shall we say I enjoyed her flashback sequence yeah yeah exactly and the the movie it, the whole concept is a solid concept what do you do when you've got the most dangerous man ever and you need to get him somewhere you get him a bodyguard it's ridiculous mm. but it works yeah I think this movie is perfectly fine it's not going to be the best thing ever but for a movie that you want to maybe go see with a date or something like that I think it's good Okay, well, a couple of things to add, and then then we'll wrap it up. There's two negatives. I mean, you have to admit that the language is quite bad. So yes, it's a lot. It's too much. That was my big criticism. And they stuffed that's partly because I think they're retconning it with jokes. So what do you fall back on in times of need? Bad language. Yeah, yeah. bad language, or crudity. Or there's not much crudeness in this, actually. It's more the bad language. And then the other thing as well is I thought... 
there were some taste issues for me with some of the violence because it's quite it's, violence is quite high isn't it? a lot of blood some john wick-esque stuff going on in there and i it wasn't just that but the fact that they there's a bit of glee to it yeah they use death as a punchline quite a lot and i know some people would say well that's what james bond is like but the thing with james bond is that the death itself isn't the punchline it's him isn't it it's the suavity it's the idea that there's some kind of polished exterior to this brutality whereas this doesn't do that it's like bullets ripping through someone's chest is meant to be funny and i didn't find it very funny. yeah there was one sequence in particular towards the end with ryan reynolds and a, a particular bad guy that i thought was a bit gratuitous just and a slightly bit misjudged i think yeah and i yeah i would say if you're going to go see this movie it's a 15 i think i'd be oh, absolutely yeah, no, amazing absolutely. If it's 12 yeah. um the, the violence is extreme end i would say and the language is excessive so if you are hesitant about those factors i wouldn't go see it my the, the only sort of sorry i'm gonna jump in the only language i'll forgive it for is they do manage quite a clever little fourth wall breaking moment when they discuss samuel l jackson's career uh in a spe- relation to a specific word that he is famous for delivering mm. so as much as that's quite rude i thought that was quite well done my biggest issue, actually, for the entire film, which I, I've not really noticed before, and maybe it's just that I've seen more films now and I'm getting a bit more critical, the lighting was terrible in the film. Oh, really? It That's was not something I observed. It was terrible. The whole film seemed to have a bit of a, a sort of almost like a dream sequence over lighting, over exposure. So every single time there's a light source, it was super blurry and like oh, impactful wow. and bleeding into all the other bits of the film. I was so bad that I thought maybe there was something wrong with the projection. I thought, it, I know, I know what you're saying about the dreaminess. I thought that was focused focus rather than lighting it's that's lighting it's both i think it's it's over overlit and and focus was bad some of the shots were not well done that's true phil You're and right. so i thought in that regard it showed itself as a bit amateur but the actual structure of the film and the direction editing is fine technically i just thought you've got ryan reynolds and samuel jackson you can't be messing that sort of stuff well, up and that's the thing i think that made me treat it more harshly than i would normally because they are really big names ryan reynolds is a big name since deadpool samuel l jackson is just who he is gary oldman is still fairly big it had a lot of things in there that for some reason don't add up to some of their parts i think the individual elements are much stronger than the film itself so for me for example phil i'd give it a b minus I would give it probably a B. I, I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it in general. I laughed a couple of times and the action I thought was, was well done. I thought, oh, that's cool. I, I haven't seen that for a while. And so I think if you're just wanting a bit of a dumb time at the movies, it's good. And I would go see it. It did make me think the whole time through, man, I wonder what Edgar Wright would do with this premise. Right, yeah. And sort of that sort of aspect. It's never going to blow your mind directorially, but it's competent. I think that's the film, competent. Any bonuses, Laurie? Interesting comment. I mean, I'd say I'd go the other way. I'd say it's a strong concept that just verges on the incompetent, actually. There so you go. It's right down the middle somewhere. Um, no real bonuses for me that I can think of. I think we sort of covered them in the body of the review this time. Although, no. although I will say that sort of spontaneous song moment did not work for me. How about you? No, I didn't like it. All I could think of was Pitch Perfect. And I thought, yeah, uh, that's like borrowing a song that somebody else has used or something like that. Yeah, it didn't go well. Uh, Listeners, let us know your thoughts. It's kind of the only big release this week, really, isn't it? Other than The Dark Tower, which we haven't seen. So send your thoughts to superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter if you have been to see it or do go to see it. Send in your plus ones and your minus ones. Oh, who's going to win this time? Definitely me. Movie News. 
Daniel Craig has signed on and confirmed that he will be James Bond for, I think, the fifth time in his history. Yep, despite him saying after, uh, what was it, the Spectre, yes. that he would never do James Bond Sorry, again. if I can quote him, he'd say, I'd rather slash my wrists. Which is awful, isn't it? That's such what a, a horrible terrible image. thing to say. <laughs> but there you go, apparently not, because he has finally agreed. I wonder what made the difference. He announced this on, I think it was... Uh, uh, one of the late night shows, I think it's Stephen Colbert. Yeah. But anyway, he said on the show that he would, he's confirmed. And apparently you were saying to me, Laura, that literally the day before he was not confirmed. He didn't confirm it. He wouldn't That's confirm right. it. I read a release where he said, no, you know, it's not, I'm not holding out for money or anything like that is what he said. It's just personal things at this point. What would you say is the reasons that he's not done the movie? Well, it's interesting. I, I mean, this is something I spoke about on the radio a while ago and I looked into. And one of the things that people were theorising was that this maybe wasn't about money, as some people were speculating, and was more to do with the fact that he's out in Logan Lucky next week um and this is a film that he wants publicity about because that's a film away from the bond image right and that's quite important for daniel craig's like longevity in his Mm. career to be known for something other than bond and with this story being constantly put everywhere or maybe daniel craig's coming back maybe he isn't actually that's sort of putting the pressure on him to confirm one way or the other whether he's going to do it or not and i'm sure the compensatory package is quite considerable Uh, At one point, it was reported in some newspapers that he was being offered up to £120 million to do two more films, uh, rather than just, which is is absolutely massive money. That's huge. (laughs) That's crazy. So it's attractive in lots and lots of ways. My guess is this is absolutely his last one. You don't think he could do another one if it was successful? Uh, Well, I don't know. I I can imagine that he doesn't really like the character, and I can think of a lot of reasons why he won't really like it. But then, just as as a character to film, and maybe it's because he's a dramatic actor and he wants to do a night he wants to act in something properly but the actual james bond film shoot is probably quite a good gig to have well, no i'm not sure that it is because when you think about the number of locations that james bond uses and the kind of action that's involved i think it's probably a grueling shoot let me honest. say that say that again in a different tone oh right when you think about the number of locations and all oh, the different <laughs> action sequences you get to do i think it sounds like a really fun job but to if, do. That's been your, if that's <laughs> you see what i mean yeah 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 if it's been your job for a long time that stuff that stuff represents time away from the people you care about it represents time when you can't take on other work or projects it represents endless press interviews and questions and intrigue being directed at you people following you everywhere i i can imagine it's not much fun but the money's good basically do you think so you said about logan lucky which is the steven soberg film yeah. i think that's coming out soon end of this month I next believe. month I think, uh, next week i think yeah you think that he's trying to get it out of the way so he can say yep i'm in the next james bond movie but, but go and see me in this in a yeah like well that, that's what people were suggesting was that the fact that this bond question was in the air right before his new film it was kind of taking away from the fact that he's going to be in logan lucky mm. so the uh, that's all that people are going to ask him about are you going to be james bond whereas he'd probably rather say no, I'm not going to be James Bond, or yes, I am going to be James Bond. Can I tell you about my my other film? Mm. So, yeah, confirming is... I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it. But I, don't, I think he's already confirmed that he's going to get a career after James Bond. It's not quite like Piers Brosnan or something like that. He, he's, he's, he's more than James Bond, I would say. He, he's he Daniel lot, Craig. He did quite a lot beforehand in a more high-profile way than either Piers Brosnan or even Roger Moore, I guess. Like, or Sean Connery, because th- those guys... James Bond was the making of them, whereas I'm not sure that's true for Daniel Craig. He was in Munich and he was in Layer Cake and a bunch of stuff, wasn't he? And he's he's done loads of films, Defiance, yeah, loads. He was in uh, Road to Petition as well. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, the question, to be honest, that I find more interesting is that the director still hasn't been confirmed because Sam Mendes didn't want anything to do with this one, did he? And, well, now that Daniel Craig's here, maybe they will try and bring him back. But that guy 
based on Spectre, must be a spent force in the Bond universe. I don't know. I think Spectre was the other side of the coin to Skyfall because Skyfall was commended because it kind of stripped away Bond and kind of blew up the old tradition of Bond. You know, when they blew yeah. up the car in the film, people said, oh, that's very symbolic. It's getting rid of the old Bond and here's the new Bond. And then Spectre's kind of rebuilding the mythos with the whole villain that they had with yeah. Christopher Waltz and the whole fact that there's Spectre, this, this evil sort of anti-MI5 yeah. or whatever it is. I, I wonder if he was trying to sort of go with the flow this time and it just didn't work out. So yeah, he had I the henchman, like he had Mr. Hinks, played by Dave Bautista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those elements that you think, oh, great Bond. But then actually I think it didn't quite mesh. There wasn't that kind of campy fun in the same way. And so the silly elements just seem silly because there was also this super dark character element to it. So I, I think, think it was yeah. just a misfire. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. I don't actually want it's him quite back, good. Though. I mean, who would you like to see doing it? People, of course, are talking about Christopher Nolan because he has said himself he's close with the producers, the Broccolis, and he'd like to do it, but only if he can reboot it, of course. I wouldn't surprise me if he is picked. Really? I wonder maybe if... That's what Daniel Craig was waiting for to find out who the director would be. And maybe he's been told, but it's not been announced yet. Right. Um, uh, or maybe Christopher Nolan was on the cards and then, but Christopher Nolan wanted to do a new Bond to reboot it. I don't know. I think Christopher Nolan would do a good Bond, but it wouldn't be like the others. It would have its own Christopher Nolan vibe to it. I think and he's reached that point in his career where that's all he'll do, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, I think the advantage of Christopher Nolan is he, he has enough clout to make a film that he would want to make. Yeah. And they I mean. give him trust. And so it would be quite interesting to see what but he Bond, would do. Bond has got to be one of the few things left in the world where that isn't really applicable. Because what, where you, you want just something... have to fit the conventions. That's what James Bond is. He's not really the character. Uh, I don't know. I think if you look at Casino Royale and also look at um, uh, Goldeneye, they were two big kind of reinventions of who James Bond was. But not, not in there. That's exactly what I mean. It's interesting that you can say it like that because it's James Bond reinvented. So... This, there is some stuff set in stone that will never change. There was still a Bond girl, wasn't there? Mm. There were still the suits, there were still the cars, there were still the gadgets. There is a lot about James Bond that just does not change. Mm. I wonder if once uh, James Bond, well, once the next film comes out, if they do go the whole Jane Bond or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it at all. I mean, I, again, on the same James Bond thing on the radio, I was talking about Rebecca Ferguson, who was the spy in uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I thought she'd be really, really good and she'd have the right kind of suave character type to pull it off um a lot of people are talking about charlie's theron after atomic blonde i don't think so i don't think that's quite yeah, right. yeah. Mm, no not with another British I, accent to be honest though i wonder i it'd be interesting i almost want to say put our money where our mouth is and say whether or not you think there'll be a black bond first or a woman bond well what some people are saying uh, is that you might not get jane bond what you might get is a female super spy so his sister or someone else in the organisation, and they might team up. And that's how they gently introduce Ooh, a female angle. That would and probably then, be a big money spinner as well. Well, yeah. And even more than that, again, some people are theorising that that could open up a James Bond cinematic universe. Oh, film. no, I immediately <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> I know. Take it back. But this is how studios operate these days. That's what people are chasing, because that's where the money is, isn't it? Mm. Or so it would seem, anyway. Well, there you go. That's some movie news. It's very small, but we spoke a lot well, about can it. Can I just say, I, you know, we're talking about directors. I don't want Christopher Nolan. Who do you no, want? You don't need to hear my thoughts on that. I think anyone who's ever listened to the show knows my feelings. Interesting you say Edgar Wright. I think Edgar Wright could do a brilliant James Bond or someone like Joe Cornish, for example, partly because I know they're fans. But when you think about their films, they know how to do action. They're quite good with narrative. And they definitely got that wry humour that people want to see creeping back into Bond, I think. Do you not think they'd have a bit of an Ant-Man situation where they try and do something a bit too different? I don't and know. And the studio would come in and say, but no, you have to do, do it. Do you not think they would have learned quite a lot from Ant-Man? 
Interesting. So, yeah. Is anyway. that who you're predicting maybe in the future? Not predicting, but I would like that to be the case. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, there we go. Movie news. What have we been watching this week? Woo! Is that right? Cool. Yep. No. Perfect. <laughs> so it's no, no, I think that sounded good. I do. Oh, Listeners, welcome to what I've been watching. These are older films, not at the cinema anymore. Just, you know, a slight bit of variation on the cinema stuff. So, Phil, your two reminders again are? Patterson and Captain Fantastic. Nice. And I'm going to do A Scanner Darkly and Finding Dory, which I rewatched recently with my daughter. So you're up first, Phil, I think. Which yep. one should we do? Patterson, because listeners got in touch. Esther, confirm your views. Okay, here's the trailer. Morning, Donnie. Everything okay? No, not really. My kid needs braces on her teeth. My car needs a transmission job. My wife wants me to take her to Florida, but I'm behind on the mortgage payments. My uncle called from India and he needs money for my niece's wedding and I got this strange rash on my back. How about you? I'm okay. Ready to roll, Patterson? Yeah. When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions. Height, width, and depth. Like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension, time. Your poetry is really good. And someday you might let the world read it. Look me in the eye. (laughs) You are a great poet. Hey, yo, that's an English bulldog, right? Dog like that, get dog jacked, my G. Well, it gives me something to look forward to then, I guess. You drive the bus, right? Your name really Patterson? My real name is Patterson. Well, that's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Working on a poem for you. A love poem? Yeah, I guess if it's for you, it's a love poem. I had a beautiful dream. We had twins. Twins. All your poems are still in that one notebook. Your secret notebook. I go through trillions of molecules that move aside to make way for me. While on both sides, trillions more stay where they are. This is Patterson Bus 23. I have a situation. Damn thing could have exploded into a fireball. (laughs) I could be realizing my dream to be a country singer. Nashville? Here I come. What about Nashville? Do you think there are any other anarchists in Patterson? You mean besides us? Not likely. Without love, what reason is there for anything? He's not going to do anything crazy. Everything he does is crazy. Nobody move! by <laughs> Patterson. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, what? He's very poetic. Get my ass kicked today. What are you playing? Myself. Now, Phil, I saw your face while we were watching that trailer, so I already have an inkling about what you're going to say. What do you think I'm going to say? I think you're going to say I'm right um, because your personal pride is getting in the way of your ability to see clearly. There you go. Now I've prejudiced your entire review. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> That's Cheers, all right. bro. So Patterson stars Adam Driver. It's by Jim Jarmusch, who's uh, kind of got a reputation as a filmmaker doing unorthodox films. It was reviewed by Laurie. He yes, was a big was. fan of it. I didn't like the sound of it because Laurie described it as poetry and sort of uh, the beauty of simplicity. The everyday. Yeah, yeah, the beauty of every day. And then Esther, one of our listeners, she got in touch and said, plus one to Laurie and plus, minus one to me uh, for not liking the sounds of the film. So now I've mm. seen the film and here's my thoughts on it. I think there are some aspects of the film which I did like a lot. Overall, I think I was right in my assessment. 
And you might say that's me defending my ego. I went in as best as I could with an open mind. No, I believe that of you, Phil. I, I've worked with you long enough on this show to know that you're as good as your word. Mm. So I loved Adam Driver in it, even though he isn't really asked to do that much. I think he gives a very solid performance that's quite warm and uh, it invites you to invest into his character. A lot of people would have played that in a very wooden manner. You can't call him wooden. No, he's not. He's very honest and open, I think. That's the Believable, thing. yeah. Um. I liked the the look of the film. I liked the the aesthetic of it. I genuinely was invested when there was a little shred of drama that came in yep. uh, towards the end. No pun intended. Oh, right, yeah. You had to explain it to me, but I've understood now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you see the film, <laughs> then you'd get that. Anyway, um, but I do think it is kind of pretentious and a bit like, oh, isn't it meaningful? Isn't it wonderful? Like, oh, look at all the symbolism. Look at all of this. Oh, the beautiful everyday. I just think... Get over yourself and actually tell a story. Cinema is about telling stories. And this is the most basic story ever. In essence, it's kind of a one idea, one note, one scene story. It could easily be a short film and be just as effective. Instead, it takes two hours to make a very obvious point. And uh, I think I could probably spout loads of rubbish. There is a point. There is some point in the in one sense, but it's it's so abstract, so wonderfully uh, vague that you can make up any point Stop you want making to. Making fun of me and everyone who likes the I, film. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I don't think it's I don't think it is uh, super meaningful. I think it is. It's slightly irritating that people would say, "Oh, it's so impressive." I think it's a nice film that's told quite well. But I think it is a bit annoying, the poetry, the little lines that come up, the poems that he he spouts, which are apparently authentic poetry from an actual poet mm-hmm. that Jim Jarmusch is a fan of. They show the lines being written in, in his handwriting on the screen as he thinks it and he reads it out in his stilted little way. I just thought, what a load of rubbish. I could write this. <laughs> I could write poetry like well, that. I have written poetry like that. But in like saying that. that, Phil, you reveal yourself to be wrong about such things. So I, I, wrote, I wrote for one of my courses um, at university, there was an option to do a shorter essay and then write a poem and just write your the, the sort of thoughts and thesis behind your writing. Right, right. And I chose that option because it meant I had to write less words for my essay mm-hmm. And so I literally, the last thing I did in my entire degree was write a stupid made-up poem and then try and come up with some gobbledygook about that poem that I've just written. Yeah. And I knew it meant nothing. And I still managed to write loads and loads and loads yeah, about yeah, all the yeah. meaning and intention I had when I wrote that silly poem. This is what I feel this film is. Would you want me to go even more pretentious for you, Phil? You're exhibiting the disconnect between the author of a work and the person who views it or receives it. Because actually, as meaningless as you might have meant that... You're going to do to the be, whole death of the author thing that you love. I'm not gonna, I wasn't going to use those words, but thanks for doing it for me. The thing is, it's, if someone came to that poem and found depth and meaning in it, who are you to deny that that depth of meaning is there? That might not have been your intention, but if it provides a space in which the person reading it can reflect and uh, project themselves into it, then that has created a meaningful experience. It's like what I said before about playing the board game Settlers. When you collect those sheep cards in a very weirdly tangible way, you do have sheep. That's my point. I I think that is right. That's theoretically correct. I uh-huh. see the point of that whole idea and how it's applied, but it also doesn't necessarily mean there's value to the work because you bring the own you bring your own value to it. It's an empty space, an empty canvas in which you but the thing to is, ruminate on these ideas. Were you bored? Were you annoyed when you watched it? Or not? Yes. One at one point during the film, because it takes I think 
an hour and a half for it to set up something for a payoff in the end. But the payoff is so small that, as I say, you could do it in a short film just as effectively. It takes an hour and a half of that sort of life building up, the re- repetitiveness of his days. Each day is the same. He's in a circle. He drives the same route. He has the same conversations with the same people. He listens into the same people talking about inane stuff. And he takes his dog to the bar at the end of the day. That You could establish that in a, in five minutes. It takes an hour and a half to do it because it wants you to really soak in but the deep meaning. you're making an assumption that that is the climax of the film. The film is entirely about that. I'm not an idiot. I can understand what the film, the, the director's trying to do. I that's necessarily true. And like, you've got the whole ridiculousness. He talks about how he's moving through molecules, but they're moving out of his way. <laughs> is he making any progress in his life or is he in fact just going around in a circle? He is the master of his fate and yet he's trapped. The, the weirdness of his girlfriend friend's cake designs and how she loves black and white Uh it's funny because she gets so much variety out of the two same colors so there's something sameness about it and variety in it at the same time isn't life wonderful it's the same and yet different every single day i could make up billions and billions and billions of different ideas about how wonderfully meaningful the film is except it's not well every day that's what esther's pointed out in her email she said isn't it lovely seeing an everyday life? Got it, got it, got it. I've got my own life. It's quite interesting. I quite like <laughs> my own life. Let this go on and on and on. I think, look, here's the thing, is I think you are right in some ways, which is I don't think the film uh, is stuffed full of meaning. I don't actually think there is much meaning to it. And I don't think Jim Jarmusch necessarily has a climax or an arc in particular that he's focusing on. I do think it takes a lot more skill than you are suggesting to create that film and give it uh, that sort of constant sense of momentum in a way that I, I personally didn't find boring. I, You know, there's that play Waiting for Godot, which makes a joke about it, about waiting and about time sort of standing still, but in a false way because it's a play, that kind of business. And there are lots of things that do it really badly. I, I felt like I believed the momentum and I followed it right the, right the way through. And it did make me reflect about life and everything else in a successful way. And the reason I think there must be something there, Phil, not meaning but skill, is that I have watched films that attempt to do something similar that I hated. I will give it credit. It's not utterly unenjoyable or anything like that i think the thing which i rile against which is similarly to what you do with christopher nolan and things like that yeah okay is the idea that people say oh how wonderful it is and actually i think it's just nice that's right. that's kind of what i'd just i'd fine. level it to fine, fine, it's fine. nice and it's a space to think about life well and this say, just proves isn't that it, life life it's worked on one level because obviously we're both projecting into it and but because we're different people we, can, we <laughs> come away with different responses see so, that's that's the sign here's here's a little tip listeners when laurie uh, argues against the argument that's when you know you've kind of made ground oh, because right, really? Laurie's like oh panic I'll just undercut everything I'll that's, go for the legs go very, for the legs what a very rude thing to say you started literally attacking me <laughs> well listeners I think Phil's made his point very clear and who's to say who's right on this I don't think either of us are I'm glad that you, thank you for watching it Phil that was very generous of you <laughs> uh, I, I just want to make myself very clear I'm slightly dramatising my feelings on this film if you enjoyed it great I'm glad you enjoyed it I don't think it's an awful film inherently I don't think it's this wonderful brilliant fantastic thing it's not perfect it's poetry by means, and I, I feel it. what's funny is the fact that in the film uh, he meets a young poet who's like nine year old That's girl, right. yeah, he does. and you think I know nine year girl, nine year old girls. None of them write poetry. None of them do. None of them. I've oh. seen. I've literally seen what nine year olds write. I've seen them win competitions in books. They write about <laughs> butterflies and they come up with rhymes. That's all they talk about. They mm-hmm. don't come up with these abstract, weird, formless poems. It well, just never happens. How never happens. That? And then she goes on and says, "Oh, do you like Emily Dickinson?" And I know. <laughs> Have you read Emily Dickinson? 
Uh, I don't actually remember reading much. I have. I had to do it at A level, and I, I remember hated saying it. this. I hated it so much, mm-hmm. and I got an A for that little GCSE or no A level, in fact. So I know how to do it all. Oh wow, Phil's got an A level. <laughs> no, I, and I'm not. Right. I'm not bragging. I'm oh, saying. In the listeners, I didn't realise we're in the presence of such an expert. <laughs> don't don't. I withdraw all my opinions. <laughs> don't do that, man. And my degree. I'm making that a very specific point, which is yeah. not what you're making. I'm saying, I think I understand poetry not fully in a sort of masterful level, I but I do get it. I get what it's doing. But I don't think it, I think it's vapid and empty Phil. as much as it is meaningful. Yeah, I think you you shouldn't have said that last point because I was with you until you started saying that. But anyway, I, when the when they that's quoted the Emily end. Dickinson as their favourite, I was like, no, I hate you. Go away. It's Flee she, from she's my part presence. of the same movement. Anyway, look, she's so wonderful. Imagist. All right, listeners, send your thoughts in Super Betty Bros. <laughs> my face feels really hot now. Like uh, the blood rushed in at Super Betty Bros on Twitter. Obviously, there's a wildly different uh, opinion here in the studio. So we'd love to have you guys to shore us up. Give me a plus one if you enjoyed it and a minus one if you didn't uh, and vice versa to Phil. Yeah, do you check out Patterson? It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it, not just mine and Laurie's. Quite right, Phil. Okay, shall I do a scanner darkly? Yes. Here Was that go. absolutely horrible to listen to? No, you? no. Well, I, I'm not listening to it, Phil. I'm living it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to find out what the listeners say. Uh, here we go. A scanner darkly. It may just be my imagination. Whatever it is that's watching. It's not human. Gentlemen, you are about to witness for approximately 61 cents the perfect homemade silencer. That sure is some silencer. Just drive over to my place, kick back, get some tequila. They're all over the place. This is a world getting progressively worse. Can we not agree on that? What's on the dessert menu? Damage has taken place to the normally dominant left hemisphere, and the right hemisphere is attempting to compensate. Two hemispheres of my brain are competing? Yes. I could be murdered. How'd I get here? Tip my hat to any entity that could bring so much integrity to evil. What if they come in through the back door or the bathroom window like that infamous Beatles song? To sacrifice someone without them ever knowing it. What does a scanner see? Into the head. Into the heart. it see into me clearly or darkly just awe-inspiring stuff so yeah philip k dick novel uh called the scanner darkly it's interesting i think i wish i'd known this before i saw this film phil so i'm going to say at the top of this review that novel uh, is very true to the film uh, richard linklater the director and screenwriter for the film adaptation worked incredibly hard to make it a faithful adaptation and i think uh, i read somewhere that it's he specifically wanted permission from the writer's estate you know they, he wanted their blessing for it because obviously the book means a lot to him and that book was written by philip k dick specifically 
after his experiences with drug communities and addiction and rehabilitation. So it is a book that was entirely written about the personal experiences of those wrapped up uh, in drug communities and all that kind of stuff. It's sort of a false reality, isn't it, that it, around drugs and with that whole, whole thing. With a whole mix of things to do with what, what it is like for these people who are caught up in that world, especially young people being caught up in it. And I, I think if you don't know that it's it's so present in the film and it creates a little bit of spin that basically makes it more watchable because listeners i didn't really enjoy this film so the basic premise is keanu reeves is playing a guy called bob arctor who goes by the special agent named fred the reason he goes by that name is that he wears this scramble suit which basically completely masks his identity even his voice and all the agents who wear similar suits give themselves these code names like Fred or Hank or whatever so that no one ever knows their identity because they need to go completely undercover so that they can infiltrate these drug rings and other crime syndicates and stuff in a vaguely futuristic world where drug addiction is a major problem. Uh, so Keanu Reeves has a house and in the house he's got housemates who are drug addicted. I think they're involved in substance D. Is there, Like is, a new drug that's hyper addictive and causes major problems and things. And it's something like 20% of the population are addicted to it and he's there to try and find their dealers to try and infiltrate this drug network and try and bring it all down. Kind of sounds classic when you describe it like that but with a bit of a futuristic angle, right? Yeah, but it slightly misleads the film, doesn't it? Because it's much more sort of uh, down and out stoners in a kind of beach town yeah. than it is FBI investigation. This is exactly why I make that point, is that it doesn't really focus on any sort of intrigue. It doesn't really have that much of a plot to it. It doesn't really have things that get found out or any major narrative structure. It is way more about the sort of identity and problems with reality uh, and everything else that these people in the drug culture have to deal with. I think the key point there is that Keanu Reeves' character, even though he's a special agent, in order to be part of this community, he himself has to take these drugs, exactly. which is highly addictive. And there's that kind of question of, am I... Who am I? Am I the know? FBI or am I actually just a, a drug addict myself? That's right. And the scanner thing is because these undercover cops sit in a room, there's hyper-surveillance culture as well, and they watch various people through these things called scanners, which is basically CTTV, right? Mm. Uh, but kind of in a, in a specific way. And yeah, he spends a lot of his time watching the housemates and other people in it uh, so woody harrelson is one of the housemates robert downey jr is another of the housemates all these guys wrapped up in drugs and winona Ryder as well is brought in as a girl who also has a dealer and provider of drugs and i kind of think that's all i really need to say about the plot suffice it to say that progress is made and they seem to be building up towards a point but keanu reese's character kind of gets lost in the murkiness of it all doesn't he mm. unfortunately you know, my problems with this film come down to a very simple point, Phil. And I've tried to sort of get past, but I realise I can't. And it's a very personal, subjective thing. So, listeners, I don't doubt many of you will disagree with me. I find drug films boring, Phil. Okay. I'm not interested in the subculture of drugs. I, there's something about it I just, that just doesn't connect with me. I don't really care that drugs cause psychedelic effects and are trippy. I don't find the drug delusions to be meaningful or insightful so films even like films like train spotting for example or requiem for a dream i just don't really have any interest in it because i think it's often counterproductive i think it glamorizes or weirdly sympathizes with choices that just don't make sense to me so i don't have a i like the idea of films tackling the idea of drugs and being honest about how addiction sufferers you know what they really suffer and the fact that people get trapped in this world but films where they sort of probe psychological depths and the mysteries and the wonders of drug addiction or you know hallucinations 
I've just got very little time for it. I find mm. it tedious. And well, we've already talked about this. I really loathe, um, particularly in American cultural perspective, that seems to suggest that everyone uh, is a stoner in some way or another, or all the people that matter secretly do these drugs a little bit, right? And I feel like this film is slightly uh, in that vein, even though it's a science fiction novel. And that may be because it's Richard Linklater directing it. And I like Richard Linklater, but he strikes me as someone who would probably be part of that culture based on the films he makes. Mm. And so, yeah, there you go. That's how that is. So that's coloured the whole, my whole perception of the film. I didn't find it very interesting or revealing or insightful. If anything, I found it a bit boring. And the rambling nature of these drug addicted people's dialogue I just found it a bit impenetrable. I, I thought it was very well adapted. It's quite impressive dialogue because it isn't sort of cliched. It's not, it doesn't sound fake. It sounds quite authentic and quite clever, but I just boring. Robert Downey Jr. is kind of a perfect man for it because he talks fast all the time, saying things that almost sound like they make sense, but they don't really. So if you love that kind of experience, you might like this film a lot. Famously, it was rotoscoped, which means they filmed it. And then they used animation techniques to sort of cartoonify the whole effect. And oddly, Richard Linklater and co. have described it as an animation, which I think is a bit of a misnomer. Would you agree with me, Phil? What, because they've actually filmed it and then it's just sort of painting over it? It's more of a a filter. Exactly. And when you watch it, it does look like someone's just got a really advanced copy of iMovie and have just pressed the cartoon button. Mm. But when you look at the production story, that went through multiple problems to try and, you know, make it happen. And I think actually it was done that way as a solution to a fairly small budget. So it's quite a small production. And this was seen as a way to create that sort of psychedelic aesthetic as well as handle some of the more futuristic elements and pass it off as animation. But I've got to be honest, listeners, all in all, I think of the film's a bit of a failure. I think it comes off as more annoying than anything else. And it, it asks a lot of you if you're going to care in the slightest. My big thing is that I remember seeing stills of this picture, this film, and I thought it was going to be amazing. The whole rotoscoping thing, I thought, wow, I've never seen anything like that. And in stills, the, the film does look really kind of nice and pleasing and attractive. But the the sensation I had watching it was it was almost a bit annoying watching yeah. this sort of aesthetic. And actually, it it almost didn't serve the film. I felt like it was a distraction to the film. And especially with the ideas where you have somebody who's going through different sort of drug psychedelic effects, it actually is a bit irritating not having the ability to distinguish what is a vision or a psychedelic thing and what's reality. And because everything is equal value, because it's all rotoscoped, your brain can't distinguish what's what. And so yeah. therefore, it actually becomes quite uncomfortable. And maybe that's the whole point that to give this sort of drug tripping effect to the audience but it's not an enjoyable watch that's i think my problem and it's quite hard to differentiate reality from uh not reality yeah and like you say that probably was a choice i sort of respect the ambition of this project because it's clearly ambitious to transform that novel into a screenplay that sort of makes sense but still capture the weird aesthetic of the whole thing clever i just didn't find it enjoyable i thought the performances were fine but they're masked under this cartoonification thing What is true is that Philip K. Dick is like a big guy in the film world because loads of his novels have ended up as massive sci-fi films. He's a master of science fiction. Yeah, Yeah. so it's it's quite surprising that he got a, a solid author behind this film who's been adapted quite faithfully, but the film just doesn't really connect. Yeah, and listeners, I'd like to know what you think. I wouldn't at all be surprised if this is the kind of film that has a massive cult following. But yeah, just didn't really work for me on any level. So it would probably get a C plus from me. Not very enjoyable. Should we go on to Captain Fantastic? Yep, do it, Phil. Captain Fantastic. What we created here may be unique in all of human existence. All the way to top. We created paradise. What we're doing out here is so incredible. Our kids are amazing. 
this, Mom. Mom needs to be in the hospital right now. How's she doing? Leslie had a disease. Wherever you are, stay there. You show can, up, can, I will have you arrested. We can't go to Mommy's funeral. We have to do what we're told. We want to see Mom. Grandpa can't impress us. Right now, this is your first real test. Remember your training. They have hot dogs. Looks cola. Poison water. Well, I'm so happy that our family is together. It's all local and organic. How did you kill those chickens? With an axe or a knife? <laughs> I, they're, they're rotisserie chickens, so you buy it on, it's already dead. The kids need structure. They need to go to a real school. I sincerely hope you haven't been doing what I think you've been doing. Your daughter has taught me many things just now. Will you be my wife? Broke my heart with Unless it comes out of a book, I don't know anything! Even if they make it through whatever it is you're doing to them, they're going to be totally unprepared for the real world. And I happen to think the opposite is true. It's child abuse. <laughs> that almost hit me. If I wanted to hit you, I would have hit you. Hello, Grandpa. Abby and I have decided that we're going to file for custody of the children. Will they take us away from you? That's a possibility. Our children shall be philosopher kings. Makes me so indescribably happy. So Captain Fantastic stars Viggo Mortensen. Morten, Mortensen? Mortensen Ar- Aragon. Yeah. Aragon. Aragon. Yes, yeah. he's Aragon. Um, Laurie's reviewed this one on the podcast, so this is me catching up yeah, a long lot. Long, it was like around the Oscars time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so it was me catching up on this film. Lots of people love it. I wanted to see it and make my own verdict. Now, I know the plot, and you probably picked up on it from listening to it. This is about a rural family who uh, have kind of gone off the grid, and they live in a, their own unique way. Yeah, these, and a forest. It's very rugged lifestyle. It's almost like survival style. And the, the parents, Viggo Mortensen and his wife, they have made the decision to to raise their kids, homeschool them, but outdoors. So they have to they hunt and they gather different things. They forage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They get all their knowledge from these books, and they read philosophers and poets. And they have to give uh, feedback to their parents. They test them on on um, what they've been reading and to be critical and engaged with the world. They don't celebrate Christmas. They celebrate Noam Chomsky Day. Oh yeah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Laurie was quite a fan of this film because of the atmosphere it makes and the humor i think it was the thing which you pulled out wasn't it yeah i'm do you want me to quickly say i mean one of the key things i really loved about it was it amazingly managed to hold up a mirror to society in a way that i haven't seen in quite a long time i felt that it wasn't particularly trying to push an ideology at all to anybody instead it very artfully and emotionally uh, enables you to look at things like well what is it we take for granted in the world? Uh, what are the sort of weird assumptions that we make? In what ways are we controlled by corporations or by ideologies? And what would it mean to try and break away from that? Are there problems? Are there uh, opportunities? You know, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was very clever, basically. 
Mm. So my thing is the fact that the film, I think, presents arguments very well. So it presents the idea of what their lifestyle is aiming for very, very definitely. So the audience definitely knows what it is that matters to this family, what they're trying to achieve. And then it also puts it in the real world context because of the narrative. They have to go and kind of, they naturally kind of bump into each other with the rest of the world, the Western world and what they value, etc, etc. I found the film, I'm going to keep this quite brief, actually. I found the film quite frustrating okay and i didn't really buy the fact that it wasn't pushing agenda i think it was massively pushing kind of an anti-world hippie agenda as you kind of would expect with the family like this when i think they were trying to be even-handed with it and sort of say oh look at the grandfather who's not bought into this lifestyle who doesn't like what vigo mortensen's doing with his family um but it never really commits to that idea and i think ultimately i found the film a bit non-starting it gets going with the idea and the concept is quite strong and it starts hinting at the the resolutions of these arguments you hear heard in the trailer one of um, Vigo's sons says I literally know nothing you've you taught me all these things and it means nothing I don't know anything he yells that and I say yeah. oh great finally we're going to get into the kind of meat of the story where all of the ideas that be pinging off collide and you kind of get resolution and development and progression I don't think it ever really delivers on the third act really and Instead, it just raises questions and doesn't ever, <laughs> ever sort of make any statements. But I think that is the third act, isn't it? You are the third act because the questions are there. <sighs> I know, like, you've got to, you, for listeners, I'm sure you don't need to imagine Phil's face at that last line. Can you deny that's a legitimate way to look at this film? Yeah, totally. But I don't think, I think it's a, an annoying empty one because it's saying you do the work, the rest of it. And I think actually in literature and most things, you can't really get away with that. I think film is a wonderful medium because it gives you a short window to get to know characters and to to really inform the audience of something. It gives images and, and direction and editing and music, all these different features to the, to the, the filmmaker's toolkit is so abundant that it can really tell you something in a very short amount time and so i think the idea of having a film which then doesn't bother to do that and says oh we'll just it's up to you it's what you think of i think that's lazy but and I, actually I, mean, a bit... I have to even disagree with you in a more basic way which is that the film does have a conclusion it does wrap things up it presents a third act which you are free to accept or dismiss it's not it's not saying you invent your ending it's saying here is an ending what do you think about it yeah so i do, I do admit it does do that and you have to sort of say what what do you think that ending means yeah. My, what i mean is is that it raises that conflict of the sun feeling like oh, I don't know anything. What are you going to do about this? And in a book, it, that'd be a great moment to then hear the the inner workings of Vigo's mind and things and so he rec- recognises his choices. The film doesn't have that option. It doesn't show you his mind. It just gives sort of maybe a couple of meaningful shots. But actually, it really needed to deal with what it was raising much better. It needed to have something concrete to engage with, something difficult to overcome and discuss. Even if it's not resolved, it needs to actually have that conversation. Well, you how, can't leave that yeah. conversation implied. How interesting. I mean, I, I disagree, basically. But I'm, I, again, Phil, I can respect your viewpoint. I think one of the things, did you think the film was about grief at all or not? Because I think it sounds to me, based on what you're saying, that might be a component not you've necessarily missed, but that you've given less weight to than I think the film does. I think, I think actually grief is more at the centre of the film than other stuff. Perhaps. Maybe that's an interesting angle, which I haven't really thought of. And I can see that as, as a running theme in the film. It, but again, I think it probably needs to chew on it a bit more. If it, 
if it's going to start biting off that chunk, chew on it, ma- like make some effort to really engage with the subject rather than kind of hinting at it and trying to ask your audience to fill in the gaps. I, I hear what you're saying. I think Phil has kind of got it right there, listeners, in the sense that this film requires a lot of its audience. But I think in even a better way than Patterson does, which is that it continually assaults you with themes and ideas and you have to sort it through in your head, don't you? Mm, yeah, I, I just found it a bit lacking in the end okay. and I felt a bit bit well, disappointed just because when you rethink about it later have a think about this from the grief perspective because i'm glad I've, i feel like i've got you on the hook now <laughs> you haven't got me on the hook no, no, you haven't got me on the race yourself, what is it that the film is really saying that Viggo morton's character is trying to achieve uh what is it that he's really trying to do and what is it that he's trying to avoid for example maybe I, i'll write into the movie clinic well, and i'll get, you the, know, get I, your I, perspective yeah. on it there we go what, what a wonderful what we've been watching an episode this is listeners i think phil and i have never disagreed this much in one show <laughs> i don't know if it's been enjoyable or not but oh. yeah i think the film it's completely made i didn't really get the get the same vibe that you did what would um, you give it grade wise i would probably give it a b okay all right. down the middle Listeners, you've got to tell us what you think. Solve this problem for us. Who's right? Who's wrong? Superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. I mean, I've already got a head start because basically listeners agree with me so far on both films. I am slightly worried that now I've just confirmed what uh, lots of people, well, one listener in particular, was saying about me that I am I just don't get the the, <laughs> the fancy films, the artsy it's films. Not fancy. And I don't like yeah. them. Well, that's not true. I do like films which leave some sort of vagueness or... Uh, openness it's not that I hate that I think you could say A Scanner Darkly is an artsy film I did not like that so there yeah you know. I, I just don't think it gets a free pass just because it's trying to be meaningful okay very well argued Phil thanks for that man um, okay I'll do Finding Dory really quickly yeah a little fun one to round off a palate cleanser maybe Field trip to the Stingray Migration. Stingray Migration. Migration is about going home. Home. Which is where you're from. How do the Stingrays all know where to go? Instinct. Something deep inside you that feels so familiar that you have to listen to it. (gasps) My mom, my dad, I have a family. We will never forget you, Dory. What if I forget you? I miss them. You know what that feels like? Yes. Okay, yeah, so quickly, I watched this with my daughter. She really enjoyed it. She's been talking about Dory ever since. Yeah, it's very <laughs> is that cute. a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. I, I like it. I, you know, this is a boring thing to say. I'm a parent, blah, blah, blah. Kids TV shows, I don't like those so much as kids films because a kids film has a big arc. And I'd much rather my daughter 
was being told stories rather than just entertained for 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Oh, he can't find the birthday cake. Yeah, exactly. And so her film's much better. So it gets apart from that. She was totally engrossed. She's fascinated by it. So two-year-olds love it. There you go. (laughs) Um, My review uh, originally was that I thought this was fine, but I thought it was far more on the average side of things than Finding Nemo. That hasn't really changed. I think Finding Nemo is really exceptional. It's got so many incredible set pieces. The stakes of the adventure feel incredibly emotionally viscerally real even though it's animated fish i think it's just (laughs) i think finding nemo is magnificent this film is a thin concept and i think the thinness of it all stems from dory's character she has one thing about her that she forgets stuff they play fast and loose with when that applies and how much it applies to suit the needs of the story so she'll forget something completely so a scene can play out a certain way or she'll remember something a bit so a scene can play out a certain way I think it's thin and a little bit lazy, but it's still enjoyable. I think there are some really lovely characters. Uh, The whale who's blind in the aquarium is great. Uh, I think the beluga whale who pretends that he's sicker than he is. Yeah, it's really really great and very well voiced. Both voice actors great there. I I enjoyed uh, the octopus, Hank, isn't he? Uh, Who's a bit paranoid, isn't he? I I I thought he was great. And the interplay between him and Dory actually worked surprisingly well. And I I really loved the sea world idea. Like, it's quite a weirdly positive spin on uh, for a film where you where we had literally children flushing fish down toilets to set them free again. Do you remember that? After Finding Nemo, this did the opposite. And it kind of said, fish can have a lovely time at the aquarium in fact that's where dory was born that was her home mm. I, I really like that side of it and i thought it was very well realized i think you know i'll just say uh, this i hope you very very quick evidence if you like that this film is quite thinly done and kind of sketched rather than fully produced there's a very good example towards the end when you have that odd climax that basically ruins the, the truck dramatic. oh yeah, yeah. what's that about? when they were driving a car i think that that just that pushes the bounds that jumps the shark i mean fair enough I and mean, they can't probably make an oh, illusion to that the because the, the truck does kind of go over the, the shark doesn't it um mm. that was sort of a, a mistake but even more than that there are about three or four scenes leading up to that moment where basically the reason that a climactic event in the screenplay happens is that people spend too long talking and that's not that's unforgivable it is yeah i'm glad you said that so there's a moment where um they're they're desperately trying to find dory's parents right at the last minute when people are going to get loaded into trucks there's your drama okay so what happens Uh, and actually oh no and marlon and nemo are trying to reunite with dory aren't they and there's a point where marlon and nemo finally reunite with dory and they spend time talking and they have an emotional catch-up moment where she's like this is my problem and i've been trying to deal with it blah 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 and they have that conversation i'm I'm thinking get out first and then have that conversation guys they don't they don't let's talk about this later we've got stuff to do We've got to come on, let's get out there. They don't do that. And that causes that actually causes a problem. Then the same thing happens again in about five minutes when they catch up with her in the truck. Exactly the same thing happens. It happens two or three times oh. in that last section. That's just lazy, listeners. Would you agree with me on that? I film? do, I do. I remember thinking that when I watched it. I remember also thinking there was about four different uh ending sequences. Yeah, yeah, right. And it yeah. just keeps on going and going and going. And you just think it could have ended at like a good 20 minutes ago and it'd be fine. It'd just yeah. be completely good. So I don't think it's very well written, listeners. And I think the, the studio knew they didn't really have that much to go on, but they knew that audience love for Dory and a desire to get back to this colourful, cheerful world of the open sea. People, people were going to be carried away by that enough that they didn't really need to invest that heavily in the screenplay. And I think it does show it's enjoyable, 
but it's you know lacking that final 20% of effort in my opinion be interesting to take it through the 22 rules of Pixar storytelling have you heard about this yes I have yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see how it would like stack up against those rules and whether or not it actually meets them it's a good point yeah. we should maybe do that with uh, some of the Pixar that'd be quite films. fun we can do it. we can come back to our Pixar segment and redo mm. it that'd be good so yeah for me listeners it gets a B I think it's enjoyable but uh, it certainly doesn't even come close to holding a candle to finding Nemo I am glad that people enjoy it as much as they do there you go that's what we've been watching this week if you've got some thoughts on those films or you would like us to watch a particular film and give our verdict do email in superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros and we will try and watch some of them yeah if you send an email to us we'll do our best to read it out Phil, don't shake your head. You need to support me in these endeavors. (laughs) And you tweet us at Super Bailey Bros. We'll read it out. That's one of my favourite early 2000s songs, Phil. Did you know that about Who sings that one again? (laughs) J-Lo! I love that song. If you have my love, it's a classic. Honestly, whenever I put it on, it takes me right back to my teenage years and I feel happy again. I do my own original songs. You're just parodying. Well, that's easy to parody. Is it? I've taken, you know, I've jumped in for you. You didn't uh, have a song, did you? I All did. Right. I was about to do what involves saying emails backwards. Well, go on then. Do that quickly. No, 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 you don't no, have no. any emails. No, no. <laughs> All right. All right, listeners, thanks very much for getting in touch. You know, there is a giant... Uh, void a Dunkirk shaped void Phil's seeing it tomorrow we'll cover all your correspondence on Dunkirk next week but for the last week we are not going to cover it and basically Phil we've only got tweets this week some people have been in touch and everyone's busy in the summer holidays you well, know well that's it and the film, some of the films are not that impressive you know a lot of people just don't have time for it you know all that stuff you anyway. said that not many people are going to the cinema this summer uh, well certainly summer blockbusters have had a, a major dip it's really interesting if you read some of the finance stuff normally I stay away from that but it's been quite fascinating this time around there have been in a few films that are considered to be massive flops in particular things like king arthur legend of the sword baywatch is still considered to be a flop you know valerian is, is kind of flopping quite hard there's been a lot of problems uh, but that's by the by here's what you've been in touch about nicholas got in touch at super baby bros i'm sure phil's engagement and the hashtag super baby bro birth that's my son i think are just marketing to get more listeners <laughs> oh that's so brutal he does say kidding congrats phil and then there's a champagne cork in oh that's phil, nice so thank you, you very much i was generally a bit like hurt like when that, <laughs> i didn't i didn't see I the we're making ahead. it up to advance I, yeah i was like oh no i no. love my lady she's lovely thanks for the congrats on both those things nicholas esther got in touch plus 20 for the radio one intro amazing uh, and also plus one for reminding me you didn't like inside out i watched it recently and was very disappointed good we we need to do this pixar thing again we need to revisit the pixar let's do that problem. and well now we can include inside out properly as well mm. yeah i feel like we should save that for another time yeah, yeah. Um, thanks i'm glad you enjoyed the radio one intro actually the phone hasn't rung yet so oh. it's possible the commissioning editors just haven't heard it yet yeah they're on holiday as well yeah. do send it their way let's mm, tweet know, it get some buzz going actually esther did send a few more things in as i'm scrolling through the feed let me, let me just do these quickly as well she does say phil 100 right on your dislike of banana as the base of all smoothies <laughs> oh yeah it's just work it is weird isn't it fortunately you can rarely taste the banana <laughs> And, you know, listeners, if that makes no sense to you, then what are you doing? You need to listen right to the end of the show sometime. Commitment pays off yeah, in the Bailey Bros podcast. She gives us a recommendation, the innocent kiwi apple lime Ooh. smoothie. It has no banana in it. Ooh. Mm. And we got a tweet from Stephen as well. As for Bailey Bros, he just says, think you'll agree. And what he's linked to is a Total Film article, which is saying that CGI baddies in superhero movies in particular are ruining big blockbusters. And its basic point is the massive CGI threat 
whether that be the uh, amorphous blob of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or like the ending of Avengers Age of Ultron with the planet falling down. All that stuff is kind of wrecking films. Would you agree with that, Phil? It does mean that there's... It's not real stakes. Actors aren't that good at imagining end-of-the-world scenarios. It's really hard to act that because you hopefully never would be in one. And so I think it means that just there's a disconnect. You don't buy into the threat. The, the peril is too big, too grand... And actually, it means that you then check out because you think, well, the world's not going to end. Yeah, it doesn't, it? you can't relate to it either. Like, you can imagine a scary person, but it's quite hard to imagine, you know, like the ending of Transformers, the one I saw the last night, where they, they were literally in midair, like playing it. It's like video game scenes. It just doesn't make sense. Funny enough, when, in a video game, you know when you're going to get up to a really, really bad boss is when they're human size rather than giant. That's true. You yeah, know, suddenly you get point. that big boss. He's actually just regular. Yeah, <laughs> but knows. you know they've got hidden strength. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. you're right, Phil. Yeah. So yeah, and Stephen, we would certainly agree with that. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that Hollywood eventually takes notice of because they do pay attention to these trends. And I think some of those big tentpole productions have kind of dipped in uh, people's uh, estimations. I think Logan was probably indication of maybe recognising that. The ending sure, of Logan. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very quite, personal story. Yeah, it was quite, and it was quite scaled back in what could have happened. Uh, they could have gone something crazy and bizarre, but instead it's quite grounded for an X-Men movie. It's funny because now I'm thinking about it, even Harry Potter, um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them had exactly the same thing. Like a big CGI mess is the baddie. Uh, okay, well, let's let's hope something else happens. I- I'm completely behind that. As you well know, Stephen, we've talked about that lots. Uh, Angeline tweeted simply saying, at Superbelly Bros, yay, welcome back a little while ago. Oh, that's nice. Oh, so nice to be back. Uh, and we'll finish with another one from Nicholas who says, at Superbelly Bros, controversially, he doesn't say controversially, I'm saying controversially, loved Valerian. 2017 visuals plus 1997 scripts that screenplay equals a great spiritual sequel to The Fifth Element. So much fun. He says it's worth an A plus one. I don't know who you're plus one to, Nicholas, because I certainly didn't give it an A. What do you think of that whole thing of spiritual successor to Fifth Element? You I love the Fifth Element, I don't you? I think it's a nice thing to say. I don't think it's true. <laughs> I think, like, certainly some of the alien designs and the fact that this is kind of what Luke Besson had in mind when he was making the Fifth Element make it obvious. But I think it's a spiritual successor in all the wrong bits of spirit, basically, because what made the Fifth Element really great was the way the narrative was sort of seamlessly interwoven with the visuals. Yeah, it it got everything right. Whereas this film just has the world and the visuals and the narrative is just a mess. I I, I really can't agree with you, Nicholas. I don't think it does deserve an A. I absolutely wish it did. I would love more than anyone, I think. I know, I would love this (laughs) to have succeeded. I love that kind of thing. I love a big sci-fi spectacle. And I had such high hopes with that uh, interdimensional marketplace scene, which was really spectacular. But it just it just doesn't get it right. And it's interesting you say 2017 visuals and a 1997 script or screenplay, because something I said to you, Phil, uh, but not in the review, was that it did feel very old fashioned to me, uh, the film. It felt like in terms of the ways that the leads interact and the kind of jokes that get made, they do seem old fashioned. But all I'd say to that is he's making a 2017 film. You know, he made a 1997 film. (laughs) It was called The Fifth Element. Make a 2017 script, I think. Um, very so, strong words from Laurie <laughs> but I mean the thing is, what I'm really glad about Nicholas is that you enjoyed it that's brilliant and I, I really hope a lot of people go and see it because we do need to support original productions we need to support independent productions does that mean you're going to support Kingsman the Golden Circle when it comes out I'll go and see it yeah I mean you and I had disagree a little bit on Kingsman I I'm interested to see that that's in September I think though. I think it's well made it has a mean spirit is what I think oh interesting so we'll see about the watch the space but that is it listeners thank you very much for tweeting and emailing as ever please do keep them coming in superbellybros at gmail.com Common at Superbelly Bros on Twitter. This is now your last week to get in your thoughts on Dunkirk because we're definitely covering it next week. Yes, we are. I'm really excited. Great. <laughs> 
that's this week's episode done. Yeah. And we're now going to have a good day. Nice robot arms there, Phil. Yeah. As well. Right? Uh, not that we won't have a good day. It's been actually quite fun. I feel a long recording session, it believe it or not. Like, it feels like that. feels <laughs> like that. Yeah, it does. But it's uh, been a fun one. I've enjoyed chatting. We, me and Laurie have had, or Laurie and I, I should say. Sorry, Dad. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Finish that sentence. Each, Come on. Laurie and I, each time we've stopped recording, we've ended up having quite in-depth chats about life. <laughs> yeah, we have. It's been quite a discursive one. I hope that isn't boring. It's, you know, like they say, when films, if people enjoy making films, often they're not an enjoyable film. For when you enjoy films. comedy, you're probably enjoying it more than the audience will. Yeah, well, let's hope that's not true of this show. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in uh, by email or tweet. You know the addresses by now. Next week, I will have seen Made in America, I think it's called. Or American, American Made, Made with Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise, Doug Lyman. That's right. It. Logan Lucky, I will have been to see as well. And also... Dunkirk. Yeah, definitely Dunkirk. There's another film on the top of my head. I can't remember. Uh, it's because I'm, re- I'm doing the... Dark uh, Tower? Uh, Dark Tower, we will have watched as well, but I will have seen another one, Phil, a third one. Uh, it's called... Oh, Detroit. That's it. With Detroit. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's because I'm doing BBC Oxford. And uh, Eyebrows week. Guy. Who's the guy who's... Uh, uh, will Poulter. Uh, will yeah, Poulter, yeah. Eyebrows, yeah. He's, he's getting more serious roles. I know. He? I'm glad for him. He was in The Revenant, wasn't he? And The Maze Runner as yeah, well. Yeah, he was. Uh, but yeah, you can catch me, listeners, at around 20 past six on BBC Radio Oxford on Thursday. Uh, if you want an advance, uh, you know, view of my opinions on the films. It's like five minute slot though, isn't it? Or is it a bit longer? About ten minutes. Depends who's doing it. We'll wait. Laurie speaks so fast, it's so funny. I, I speak slower on the radio. Do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. I don't think I do talk that much faster, but I guess we'll see. Uh, anyway, listeners, plenty to look forward to. Have a really great week in the sunshine, if it is sunny where you are, and I hope it is. And we'll speak to you then. Thanks, Laurie, for the weather. Don't mention it, <laughs> Any time. <laughs> We've got a, a cold front coming in. Let's just go, man. Let's right, go, right, Ed. Right. Full stop. Bye, listeners. So, Phil, we got a bit of a bonus each this week, haven't we? Mine's very, very brief, and it was actually just based on a conversation we were having. Yeah. When I was talking about, uh, well, for my birthday, you asked me what I wanted, and I wanted to get a backpack, but then I called it a back sack. (laughs) A back sack. And for some Uh, reason, it's just funny, isn't it? (laughs) Imagine if backpacks were called back sacks. I do sometimes think about that. If you rebranded something that is so well known, would it have had the same success? So if you'd started calling them back sacks, yeah, I don't think it... (laughs) I don't think it would have sold quite as well. Rucksack, you know, backpack. Yeah, that's <laughs> Maybe that's why it's called a rucksack. But a backsack is still quite, you know, it's quite literal. There's, some, there's something funny it about it, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend using it in everyday uh, language, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's my Slurry <laughs> over to you. Um, well, mine's going to sound very boring by comparison now, Phil. Can I give you a couple here? Oh, gosh. You said you only had one. Well, looking at my list, there's, there's one that's really quick. You know, I talked about Wichita Lie Man last mm-hmm. week. When I was looking for that on Spotify, I found one version of it on a country keep fit playlist. What? On, <laughs> no, not even a playlist, an album on Spotify. And it's literally like a sort of dance mix, you know, that you like listen to when you're on the minute. treadmill. But country. <laughs> like, just, like the instant I heard that name, I just got this amazing picture of like this cowboy on the treadmill. Like, cause what? Like, Yeehaw, what let's go. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was so great that there are people who love country so much. That well, they want to run to it. In the gym. I wonder whether that impacts your performance. I just thought that was, mm. that was funny. There you go. There's a little mini one. Yeah. Uh, and the second one, this is a bit more serious. Um, it's about medieval warfare, Phil. Are you ready for this? <laughs> this is taking a left turn. Here's the thing. If you read books that have ever covered medieval warfare or seen films or TV shows that have battles in it, for example, Game of Thrones, which we Mm -hmm, talked about last mm -hmm. week, have you noticed that people go on and on and on about ships? Like they say... But they've got two hundred ships, and we only have. Are you one talking hundred. about the fact that ships sounds like something else? No, I'm not. <laughs> right, okay. I've got a more serious point to make. 
But and and even in the Matrix, right? Uh, in the Matrix Revolutions, when they're trying to defend against the uh, the squiddies, what are they call again, you know, the <laughs> machines, the machines that come yeah. into the the base, the squiddies, yeah. What's his name? The really boring commander guy saying, "I'm going to believe I need every ship that we have." When he's annoyed more, yeah, yeah, taking yeah. His ship away. <laughs> and there's constantly talk about how many ships we've got: two hundred ships, three hundred ships. What's so great about ships? <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. In the medieval times, what did they bring to a fight? They sit on the water. If a fight is done with swords and shields, what good are they if they're on a boat? That doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to me. Why do people talk about ships? <laughs> As if they're going to help your war effort. Unless they come with cannons. Well, they, 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 no good. Don't they move troops around lots very quickly? Yeah, okay, so they're great transport. They've still got to get off the boat. <laughs> so, and they can't... All 200 of your ships cannot get on the same stretch of coastline. But so thing- all you've got to do is fill the beach and then they're stuck. <laughs> no, and then but- when they get out, they land in the water. Chop them down. <laughs> I don't understand it. Some military strategist <laughs> needs to tell me why ships are a good thing. But then when you have lots of ships, it can only mean one thing. And what? you need to play the right sound clip now. Invasion. <laughs> I, I think your mind's working on a different level than mine, Phil. But that's just a trouble I've had. That's, do, do it's you know interesting. I'm, I do, I'm not a medieval expert, so I don't know. But... I don't know. There's something assets. It's good to have assets, isn't it? I don't believe. I, if someone can clear that up for me, I'd greatly appreciate it. I don't understand how they're an asset. Uh, anyway, that's it. Hey, Phil. Hello. <laughs> why don't you say hi, Laurie? What do you I mean? feel like I've got a mental trigger or something that you need to hit. Here we go again. Right, it's the third, third time's the charm. Right, okay, we've only been doing this for nearly a hundred episodes. <laughs> do you, is it time that that formula came back? Twenty-seven years later. Um, yeah. This isn't good either. I don't know <laughs> so Hitman's Bodyguard is the new film from... I don't even know who directs it. <laughs> so Refined our rhythm, I think. <laughs> it's not going well. Also stars... Electra from Deadpool. No, it doesn't. It does. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It's a good job of recording this. I'm enjoying it. If people can listen to the behind the scenes. It's Electra from the Daredevil series. Oh, from yeah, but you didn't say that. You said I that, said Electra from Daredevil. What did I not say, Laurie? Uh. <laughs> also stars Salma Hayek, although she's sort of and Salma Hayek because she's got a fairly small role. Uh, and then Elodie Young, who is Tyrion Lannister's girlfriend Shay in Game of Thrones. Right. She's also the one in Electra. Maybe I'm wrong about that in... Um... <laughs> Is this still yeah, recording, Laurie? It's certainly wrong. <laughs> I am completely wrong. I recognise her name. <laughs> she's in Electra from Daredevil. <laughs> and she's in other films as well. She's like... Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt. <clears throat> That's who she was. She was the princess. <laughs> I, she's so you, rubbish. You better put all of this in the end. People don't want to know what to I want to everyone that, to know that you're nothing without your computer. That's not true. I thought, <laughs> you I, don't I, have any knowledge. It's I all do me. sometimes. I'm nothing in front of me, just my pure brain power. <sighs> right. Lots of people saying it's really fantastic, ironically. And that's that that's not Rice's. It's not irony, appropriately, maybe. 